Hi, and thanks for hitting the snooze button. I'm Neil Headley. I was prepared to look at a literal lifelong battle with insomnia and just chalk it up to being part of the job as I spent more than 30 years in morning radio and television. Well, I decided to dig a little bit deeper and found out that I had a lot more to learn. So, in this series, we're going to fix your sleep by figuring out why mine is so horribly broken. And hopefully we're going to stumble upon some answers together. We're something like 60 episodes or more into this journey toward a good night's sleep. And I got to say, um, this one might be one of the most important episodes we've done yet. Let me tell you why. Not the first half, mind you. The first half is just, you know, all kinds of silly fun. I'm going to connect you with an old friend who I've known for almost 40 years. Um, these days, you know him as the keyboard player and one of the front men for the legendary rock band Styx. He's Lawrence Gowan, and we're going to talk about the road that is traveled by rock stars as they get older, with things like fitness and sleep, and we're even going to nerd out for a couple minutes about why Styx isn't in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame yet. You'll be interested in what Larry's got to say about that. Now, the second half of this week's episode might either change or, you know, maybe even save your life, and I'll tell you why. I'm going to introduce you to my sleep doctor. Mark Bullis from Sunnybrook Health Sciences Center in Toronto. Mark saved my life a few years ago and started me on this journey. Well, if I could be blunt for a second, my life uh, pretty much fell apart a couple of years ago. And as I de dealt with the mental health fallout, well, my sleep issues came roaring back with a vengeance. That led to a conversation on social media with Mark and Dr. Linnell Schneeberg from Connecticut Children's Medical Center and some others who told me there might literally be millions of people in the same pharmacological boat that I was in. So if you know somebody who's dealing with mental health issues and sleep problems, please do me and them a favor and tell them about the second half of this week's show. It's actually important. First, though, let's channel our inner rock star and spend some time with an old friend from the rock band Sticks. Here's my conversation with Lawrence Gowan. All right, Lawrence Gowan, uh, you get the very same first question that everybody in the history of the show has gotten, whether they are an astronaut, a congressperson impeaching a president, or uh, a sleep scientist from halfway across the world. You get the same question. How did you sleep last night? Well, first of all, kind of disappointed that I'm getting the same question as everyone else. But <laughs> Okay. I'll work harder on that. Neil, uh, Neil, I slept great last night because, as you know, as we've I've mentioned this to you in the past, I sleep the best on a tour bus. And I slept last night from let's, let me think about this for a second. I slept from Sioux Falls, South Dakota, all the way to Omaha, Nebraska, and I got about between eight and nine hours sleep. Yeah. So that thing that happens in so many music videos where the band is trying to fall asleep on the bus, that's not just, that's not hyperbole for a cool, dramatic looking video. That's how it's, how it still works. Well, you see, it, it differs between different members. Uh, JY has a, a very difficult time getting a good night's sleep on the bus. Uh, but uh, Tommy, Sean, myself, we get a great night's sleep on the bus. Our, our drummer, Todd Zuckerman, he sleeps on the bus, but he gets up the minute we get to the hotel. He's off. He's off. I can't be woken up, you know. Like I just, once I'm down, I am completely down, and I can, I can. My trust in the driver is what it's all dependent upon. If I, 
if I hear the rumble strip more than once, I'm awake as well. <laughs> but sure. but but if once I feel that the driver realizes that he's driving human beings and not like produce or something like that to a grocery yeah. store, um, right. I, I can completely just zone out to a degree that I can't anywhere else, and I have remarkable dreams, you know, on the bus. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, now I want to get into the how that happens, in, and we'll get there in a minute. I want to geek out for a little bit first, though, yeah. um, and talk about the new record, because I looked it up. Actually, I looked it up this morning, and it is uh, 36 years and nine days since you and I first met. It's uh, it's almost the 36th <laughs> anniversary of us meeting for the first time. I introduced you on stage when you were still a solo act, um, yeah. or it was solo act slash, you know, front man of the band Gowan, um, yeah. in Oshawa, Ontario at a hockey arena where you were doing, you know, strange animal and criminal mind and all those songs. And I got to tell you that I listened to a bunch of the new record. And to me, you sound better now than you did 36 years ago. How does that even happen? Well, <sighs> It could possibly be a bit of ear damage uh, for you, Neil. No. <laughs> Wouldn't surprise uh, me at this stage. No, uh, uh, quite honestly, I think because I've done it so much, I think uh, I'm working with, you know, with, with Sticks. I'm working with great people. The uh, producer that we had on this record, Willie Vankovich, he was able to kind of get me to try things and uh, that I hadn't, you know, perhaps uh, to, to the extent that I had in the past. and. Uh, I kind of, over the years, I've kind of found where my voice fits in sticks and how, you know, how to approach a, a new stick song, let's call it that. And uh, and as opposed to how I sing my Gowan songs, which are, uh, you know, um, in some ways, those have improved as well, I suppose. Your voice changes over the course of your lifetime. John Anderson, actually, when we did uh, Moonlight Desires together, one of the, I asked John, how can you know you you sound so great now? He was only in his forties at the time, and he said, he said, you know, your voice is the one muscle in your body that can actually improve with age if you really treat it well. So um, I thought, well, why don't I just go go ahead and believe that and see if we can accomplish that? And so I've, I've worked on it quite extensively. You know, we do over a hundred shows a year, but there's a lot of um, a lot of attention paid to trying to sing better and better as as life goes on and uh thanks for making that comment if we are gonna look at sticks as a, you know a fine wine that gets better with age um i i let's let's pull out some more uh wine metaphors okay. i'm hearing especially in that first single crash of the crown yeah um, I'm hearing notes of Queen. I'm hearing yeah. notes of uh, foreplay from Boston in there on one of those keyboard runs, and you yeah. know the keyboard run I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. I'm hearing, I'm hearing all kinds of stuff. But the thing that jumps out at me is what I'm hearing a lot of is 1970s era sticks in there. That it's like this is what sticks sounded like when sticks first started. Was this sort of like a deliberate attempt to put the prog rock flag back in the ground and go yeah. hey you punks that are doing that with hey you should be watching us. like is that how that evolved was it deliberate or is that is that just where the kind of songs you guys are writing now honestly it's entirely intentional it's intentional because we know we've learned over the last 
10, 11, 12 years. As younger people keep coming out to the shows, uh, many, most of whom have not even were not even born in the you know in the seventies, and so they were born after that era. Uh, they love that classic rock sound, and so we find now why you know why get too caught up in trying to make things sound modern when we really we don't we don't connect with that vibration as much as easily and as effortlessly as we do with that classic rock era. So as you mentioned. You know, we we kind of go into that era and and get our heads firmly in there. So I'm listening to a lot of Genesis and Queen and Yes and uh, Jethro Tull and Elton, early Elton. Um, you know, as we're writing these songs, working on them, and and we use and the Who, and in fact as well from that era, Quadrophenia. Uh, we listen to those those kind of those, those kind of records that we're going to, but we're trying to write songs that that resonate with that area, record, record them with that, uh, with the, as much of the same equipment as possible, which is quite possible right now. We use, you know, tape machines and old analog gear. Uh, sure. And then we, but the one, the one uh, caveat to that is that lyrically, we try to write things that are, that, uh, that feel relevant to our time here, you know, so we're not going to make a lot of references to, uh, you know, seventies type references, uh, lyrically speaking, because that would sound a little dumb. You know, we're living we're living very much in the present, but plundering strongly from that era of of rock that people love. And why not? Because it's the great musical statement of the last half of the twentieth century. So it's a sound that's as 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 uh, as authentic and as meaningful as say the the jazz musicians that were in the first half of the 20th century you know it's a, a similar approach you know a jazz trio playing a piano as upright bass and a, a drum kit that's a very relevant jazz sound that will never go away for us it's it's sticking to that instrumentation so i'm using vintage oberheim and a mellotron and an old steinway and a b3 and so it, it puts your head into that era all, all those various uh elements can can keep you there keep can hold you in that that uh that musical intention. Well, and and there are, and I'm not going to name any names uh, certainly, but there are those bands out there that you you feel like maybe the the stuff that they've put out is not it's not resonating with them personally. It's the stuff that they feel like they've got to get out there to stay current. And I, I yeah. love the fact that Styx is not doing that. Um, you know, I, let me. Let, you've got this interesting perspective on Styx in particular because you have now. I remember we had a conversation the day that you had officially crossed over where you had, in your music career, you had been a member of Styx for longer than you hadn't, yeah. um, which was which was a cool conversation. But Weird. why, because you can come at it from that, I was for a very long time not part of Styx and now have been for the last, whatever it is, 23 years. Um, why is Styx not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame yet? Do you have any perspective on that? Not really. I, I I find that a really uh, that, that's <laughs> that goes back to the in some ways it goes back to the old music industry <laughs> manner of uh, you know who wins awards and who doesn't and uh, how that whole angle of the music business plays out and uh, I, I, there hasn't been any great concerted effort other than the on, on the part of of the. Uh, 
uh, you know, the faithful fans of the band, uh, there hasn't right. been, there hasn't been a great concerted effort to, you know, do whatever is necessary behind the scenes to kind of make that uh, happen. It could very well be that, um, you know, I don't know, maybe they're saving the best for last. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> well done. No, because I think of the tours that you guys go out on. And yeah. and when you're out on tour with so many of these other, you know, mega bands, and I'm looking and I'm going, well, a couple of those bands are in the Hall of Fame. How yeah. come you guys aren't? That's, you know? that, that, that is one thing I, I – just just to be a little bit catty and show busy backstage, I do I, I do always make a point of saying, oh, look, it's, it's another – act from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame who are opening the show for a six tonight. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I, that's just being, as, as I say, it's being catty because usually I love, I love going and seeing those acts. I, I always do. And uh, yeah. we usually get to get to perform with them. But um, yeah, but we don't spend a lot of time going, so you're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. What's it like? It's about 15 years ago or so. That I come to see you. It's a, you're. It's a three band bill. It's you and Def Leppard. Yeah. And I can't remember if the third band on the bill was Ario Speedwagon or if it was Foreigner. Could have been either um, one because we've done both. Yeah. Yeah. yeah cause, and so you were playing at. I think it was like Mohegan Sun Arena in Connecticut or something right, like that. Yeah. When you were and, working and there. I. Yep, and I come to see you, and you take me backstage, and thank you again for that. Um, but one of the things that you showed me backstage, and I'm kind of start to veer back into my lane um, a little bit here, is is you showed me the workout room. And right. for people who aren't privy to backstage at a rock concert, let me quickly give you an idea of what I saw. Um, it was half the size of a Planet Fitness, and it was full of, I mean, think of a piece of weightlifting or fitness gear that you would see in your average gym that you pay X amount of dollars to be a member of. This was set up in a huge room in this arena where these bands were playing. And I remember you and I had a conversation about it and it was just, it was kind of the new reality where if you were, and at the time, you know, you were a musician in your, in your forties, approaching your fifties, uh, it's one of the things that you had to do to be able to stay on top of your game. And I, I was talking to somebody about it yesterday. I said, it probably takes more time to tear, tear down and put up the, the gym than it takes to put, tear down the stuff on the stage. Like yeah. when did that become part of what it takes to be an, an older touring musician? And is everybody doing that? Or are you guys just particularly obsessed? No, uh, quite honestly, most of that equipment was probably Phil Collins. Uh, Phil Collin, the guitar player from Def Leppard, because he's from uh, Def Leppard, yeah. yeah. But no, we have we have our own we have our own dumbbells. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so uh, no, uh, quite honestly, beyond the age of pick a pick a number, beyond the age of about forty five, fifty, maybe uh, your your health and and keeping yourself in some kind of shape is probably a great idea if you intend to keep doing this, you know. Uh, I look at Mick Jagger on, on on tour this year. What is he, like 98 or something? I think he's 78. He's actually. getting there. Stupid. Yeah. He's by far the most in shape person of that age that I've ever seen in my life. And I I marvel at it. And uh, to me, Mick Jagger, to me, is the goal. He, he is absolutely showing you that you can still be very vital and vibrant and, uh, and that rock music 
it's 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 an ageless thing. He's the personification of that. So I, I, I'm aiming for that. I don't know if I'll get there. I'm a lot more flabby than he is. <laughs> Do you know if if Mick has like a, a workout regimen? I mean, does he? And, yeah, I'm and sure he does. Be, Okay, because yeah, that doesn't happen by accident. I mean, everybody yeah. when they were in their twenties, and even some of some of us into our thirties, stayed that in that shape accidentally. Well, it's, but it's, I'd say it's either that, either he has a very good workout um, regimen, as you said, uh, a routine, just probably just a, a way of living that keeps him in that uh, kind of shape, you know. And and he's constantly thinking about it. It's either that, or he signed a deal with. Um, with the underworld, I don't know. Yes, yeah, so yes, it's he's saying the same kind of deal that Keith's got. Yeah, yeah. The, the better story is the is the is the latter. But I have a feeling it has it comes down to a lot of things like, uh, you know, eating better food and keeping himself in shape, and basically focusing his his attention, his health intentions, on getting back on stage and performing. So if you're sure. if you have that as a goal, it probably keeps you pretty focused. Well, and and. You guys in particular, if we want to focus just on sticks for a second, you guys have got to be doing something because, I mean, if I remember correctly, yeah, well, the last do. time I saw you guys live, I mean, Tommy is jacked. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's in great shape. Uh, yeah, he's we all kind of do whatever we need to do to kind of to kind of keep going to, to varying degrees. Um, I was hitting it really hard earlier this year and then suddenly I. I wrecked one of my feet. But anyway, a few shots of cortisone, you're good to go. Back at her. All right. Yeah. So so for you, um, what what does that look like? I mean, how has being on the road and taking care of yourself evolved since you and sure. I met 36 years ago? Okay. So when, when you and I met 36 years ago, I played hockey at least three to four times a week. You know, um, if I wasn't – if I was – on tour just in Ontario, I'd be down to maybe two to three games a week. <laughs> if I was traveling across the country, uh, you know, I, I, I would play any game of hockey anywhere I could. Anywhere I could get my skates on, I'd be that. And I did that up until I joined Sticks, really up until about 1999. Uh, I think I only played in maybe a couple of, of those uh, kind of celebrities play the NHL old timers games. I only played in a couple of those. Sure. After, after, after you get out there and you find out your line mates with MacGyver or something like that. I love those games. I did. I, actually, he did play in a game. He did play in a game. I, I love that the last game I ever played was at the Rico Arena in Toronto, and I had Doug Gilmore and Gary Lehman as line mates. <laughs> nice. Then, nice. They put so many shots in off my ass. It was it was incredible. I, my my <laughs> butt scored I think double hat tricks that night. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so hockey goes by the wayside no, late nineties. So yeah, how are you keeping up? Where I transitioned, I transitioned in, when I joined Sticks. I was doing a lot of weights and stuff like that. Then that caused a problem in one of my arms, um, and so it was recommended that I switch over to yoga. So I started doing, you know, it, and I pretty much st I still do that pretty well every day of of, of a show. Because it's just basic stretching. I go for long walks. I've become a real walker. Like uh, the great thing about being in sticks is I've seen America over, you know, over the last twenty three years. I've seen so much of the country and 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 walked an awful lot of it because uh, I can kind of tell you where various things are in very in every town. No matter wherever we land, 
whatever, whatever town I wake up in, I can tell you where the best coffee shop is like right off the bat. I don't even, I don't even need GPS or anything just because I've walked to many, many places. Walking is, I think the greatest exercise ultimately, uh, our bodies are, are, are made for it. Um, I think there's even stories that we've only survived as a species because of our ability to walk long distances, but that's for another conversation. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and during the pandemic year, this is a, an interesting thing for staying in shape. I rediscovered my bicycle, which I hadn't ridden probably in about 20 years, 25 years even. And so I go along for, for long rides on my bike and uh, just that alone, that and trying to eat more, more healthy than possibly I would if I weren't uh, performing so much. And, uh, and singing is a good exercise, believe it or not, because you're taking in a lot of breath and getting, getting to, you know, utilize your, your breathing system. But those are, those are the basic ways, Neil. And, you know, going back to your, um, you know, your, this thesis that you're doing on sleep, (laughs) this book you're doing, um, that has a lot to do with it. A good, being well well exercised uh, has a lot to do with how the quality of sleep that you're going to wind up getting, uh, I do believe. Well, and you were telling me before that even just within sticks, you know, there mm-hmm. there's you who apparently is a machine at sleeping on the bus, uh, which honestly, you're the first person I've ever heard that from yeah. out of everybody I've ever talked to. Sleep great you know, right on a bus. <laughs> but there's other guys in the band that can't. So right. is there a thing that you do? that um i don't know if you can still get to do it when you're on the bus but if you're in hotels or whatever this this schedule that you guys are keeping up is there a is there a trick you use that helps you sleep and by the way you're yeah. under no real pressure here because no. i'll direct people back to the stacy plaskett episode congresswoman stacy plaskett who you remember as the very imposing figure from from the second donald trump impeachment um who referred to the things that help her sleep as lavender bath salts bourbon and sex so you know um which was interesting coming from a congresswoman but anyway um so what what's your thing if if sleep's not showing up for you some night and you know that if you don't sleep you're going to be a bag of dirt on stage in nebraska the next night i do have a couple of things okay there are a few things first is by the way going back to the exercise thing Playing over 100 shows a year, that's a bit of a workout too, by the way. Um, You're slithering you know, around on the piano like like Alana Miles used to do 25 years ago. Yeah, although I, piano spins around, I'm running across the stage, and, uh, you know, I, I, I'm winded I'll, at, at least twice in the show. At least twice every night, I'm pretty winded. So I think that's probably good for you. Um, tricks for sleep. Okay, one would be... Pretty simple things. Trying to trying to get to bed at around the same time every night, you know, within an hour or so. That's that's one. Um, something that has just disrupted my sleep actually in the last couple of years is uh, <laughs> getting too deep into my phone. Um, sure. And I've I've begun to. I'm just starting to kind of uh, uh, curtail that. Uh, as much as possible because that, um, you know, there's all kinds of things about the, the light that gets in your eyes from your computer or from your phone uh, yeah. being disruptive. Uh, you know, it, curtailing it a little bit. Uh, I have another thing, actually, you know, particularly during pandemic year where, where sleep became a bit more of a challenge, quite honestly. Um, I would have that 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning, wake up and... Uh, 
begin to give myself a little mental lecture about all the things that, that I need to address in my life. Um, I was very tempted, and sometimes I did just get up at those times, because they say that can be good, just get up and write down what's ever bothering you or something, and then go back to bed. Yeah. Uh, I tried I tried that trick, and that's that's a pretty good one. Uh, where you know there's something that's you know really you're like God I gotta I gotta look after that whatever it is I gotta get rid of that junk that's in the basement or whatever and you if you get up and write down get rid of junk in the basement it's funny how the next morning if you get up around whatever time you get up you go and look at that and you're like yeah no I don't it's not such a big deal <laughs> no, but it's a big right. it's funny how we we obsess on things when you wake up in the middle of the night. Um, the next trick was this. Okay, I, I do use this one, actually, now that you bring it up. When I have that wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning thing where I can't get back to sleep, I'll sometimes yeah. resist the temptation to get up. Instead, even go back to, even if I do get up for a minute, use the washroom or whatever, if I go back to bed and I'm wide awake, I'll, I'll push through it. And even if I'm awake for the next even hour or two, <laughs> One of the things I do is try to pick a, a, a time in my life. Like, let's say 36 years ago when Neil Headley introduced me at the Oshawa Arena. And I'll try to, I'll try to um, put myself in that day again as much as I can. Of course, there's only little fragments you can remember. But I go over the day and try to remember things. And even as I'm doing it right now, I'm remembering that on that day, See, this is this works for me. I remember that I drove myself to that gig because I was living in a an apartment then right by the metro right by the metro zoo. So it was a straight shot on the four oh one to yep. the Oshawa Arena. And the next day I had to be on a plane to go and do Good Rockin' Tonight, which was in Vancouver back then. Oh my god. And uh yeah, I remember this and it was with Terry David Mulligan. And yeah. So because of that, I knew I can't I can't hang around after the show. I can't do any after show you know, meeting people and stuff. So, <laughs> see, I remember this day. I parked my van right where the Zamboni normally goes, which is immediately mm -hmm. behind the stage. Came off stage and in my strange animal outfit, got straight into the driver's seat and like like Batman leaving the uh, the arena, went straight out the back door. And uh, I was in bed probably half hour later and up and on an airplane probably about four or five hours after that um so anyway now you see i'll replay that in my mind when i'm lying in bed like trying to get back to sleep and it's amazing right. i probably put quite a few people to sleep just by retelling that story right now no you know what i love every time you and i have a conversation in it, we, and and i don't know how many of these we've done now um i always learn stuff about you that i never knew before and i always wanted to ask you this one question and you kind of led me to it um it's four o'clock in the morning and you woke up and and stuff's rattling around in your head for, for a rock star and forgive me i don't think i've ever referred to you in all the time we've known each other as a rock star before but you I don't mind go ahead for a rock star <laughs> If a, when a rock star wakes up at four o'clock in the morning, what are they thinking about? Like, are you are you ruminating over the F sharp you missed in the second verse of such and such a song? Like, does that does that stuff roll around in your head, or 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 does that just fall off? Uh, no, it does roll around your head. Quite honestly, I can tell you. I, I know there's a, there's a, in last night's show there was a chord I a, a wrong chord I hit very early in the show. And it's it's still on my mind. 
and I'm I'm trying to resist the the urge to go out and punch a stranger because of what I did. <laughs> no, you, you, you do you do you do beat yourself up. That would end badly for me anyway. Um, yeah, you, you you do beat yourself up a little too much, and sometimes it actually helps to mention it to, to somebody else in the band, and they'll go, "Yeah, we all heard it." And uh, by the way, did you hear that note that I hit? And so on, such and such a place. Oh, right. As musicians, you do you can't obsess about things like that. And what you need is a little bit of perspective to realize that the audience, a, they probably don't know, and b, if they did know, what matters is did they enjoy themselves at this show or not? It's not about the sure. note that you hit or didn't hit. And so sure. I'm I'm being very philosophical now, but at, at four o'clock in the morning, I can end up with you know giving myself a bleeding nose over that that chord I hit that I'm going to fix tonight for sure. Honestly, Lawrence Gowan and I spent about 52 minutes just talking and reminiscing and talking about rock and roll and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and bands and fitness and yoga and all kinds of stuff. I'm thinking about putting that part of the conversation online as like a bonus episode for people who actually subscribe to the show. Uh, if you're a Sticks fan, yeah, you know what? Drop me a line, uh, Neil at thesnoozebutton.com and let me know you want me to post the rest of it or hit me on social media at Get Your Snooze On. And if enough people want to hear the entire conversation, which is just a load of fun because Lawrence is one of my favorite people in the world. Um, I'll, I'll gladly post it as a bonus episode. In the meantime, as promised, my sleep doctor from Sunnybrook Health Sciences Center in Toronto, Dr. Mark Bulos, who uh, literally saved my life a few years ago and started me on this journey toward fixing my sleep and in turn fixing yours. We're going to talk about something that went horribly wrong for me on this journey uh, about a year and a half or two years ago now and how Mark and a number of others helped me fix the problem and it underscores why you if you're having sleep issues need to get to a sleep lab but of course as you know on this show there's one piece of housekeeping we need to do first so Mark it occurred to me the other day that uh, the only person that's been on this show more than you is Mike Brandner um, and it doesn't let him off the hook in terms of answering the big first question that everybody gets. So I'm going to ask you, you know, it's coming. How did you sleep last night? I slept for really great. Yeah. I had a really good night's sleep. I think I slept around four in the morning or so. I woke up at around noon. So felt real good. Hey, I'm a yeah. late sleeper as I told you that before. Right. So. Yeah. You have a weird sleep schedule, right? Tell me about that. Yeah, I do. I do. I sleep particularly late, usually somewhere between three and four in the morning. And then wake up, uh, you know, seven or eight hours later, depending on my duties the next day. Um, is that something that, I mean, did it take you a while to condition yourself to that sleep schedule? Or is that just where you normally fall? I don't know. Like, I mean, all teenagers, most teenagers f sleep pretty late. But even during, even during medical school, residency, fellowship training, and even as early staff, I always found myself going to bed later. I think part of it is um, is that it was just to accommodate how much work there was, but I've never really been a morning person per se. So I think that's kind of just the cycle that my body feels the best with, you know? And um, and um, I, don't know, I guess every one of us is different. Remember what we've always said is that as long as you can fix a good wake time and a good bedtime and get your seven or eight hours of sleep, and as long as you're feeling refreshed in the morning, you're nodding, not nodding off, it probably, probably each and every one of us is quite different for what's going to be a normal circadian rhythm, right? 
So you are the reason that I keep telling people they should get into a sleep lab because you and you and I have had this conversation and I've gotten emotional about it various times. I might this time. Let's see. Um, you changed my life um, because you took what everybody that is a regular with this show, I call those people bedheads, but all the bedheads know um, that, you know, I've been having sleep issues since the age of six, since the stuff that happened to me when I was a kid. And you were the one that finally put the brakes on that. And, and so I will forever be in your debt for that. But you and I had a conversation that started on Twitter and moved over to email because when you and I first met, I had a periodic limb movement index of 82, which for people who are new to the term, that basically means that I am thrashing about in my sleep about every 40 to 45 seconds all night long. Um, normal periodic limb movement index. I mean, the barrier where they say, if it's over this, you need to go see a doctor is around 15. I'm in 82. So there's that. Um, but thank you to you and the work that we did at Sunnybrook in Toronto. I was able to bring that number way down into the single digits, which was terrific. I was sleeping like a normal human being up until about three months ago. And all of a sudden, the restless legs syndrome was back. The kicking in my sleep was back. Everything was back. And I couldn't figure out what happened. I asked around on Twitter, and somebody threw a term at me that I had never heard before, augmentation. Now, before we get to what it really was, uh, and we'll make that sort of the second part of this discussion, talk to me about augmentation, because it's a term I had never heard about before. And I remember when augmentation came into the conversation, Linnell Schneeberg from Connecticut Children's Medical Center also reached out on Twitter and said, you need to cover this on your show because I bet a lot of people don't know what augmentation is. So can you clarify that for me a little bit? Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. So first of all, thank you very much for your very kind comments. You know, doctors work real hard. They don't get that many, they don't get comments all the time, compliments all the time. So I really appreciate the really kind comment in your, your sincere thanks. Thank sure. you. For that. that means a lot to me. Um, augmentation is when you have, it's, it occurs in patients with restless leg syndrome. And it's this phenomenon uh, that, that the restless leg syndrome symptoms begin spreading to different parts of the body. And they also begin getting uh, greater in severity. Okay. So that's what augmentation is. And, and so for example, someone's restless legs may be only uh, confined to the legs, but in some cases with augmentation, they may spread up to the abdomen. There's even a restless abdomen syndrome. There could be a restless arm syndrome and the severity can get worse. It can also, it can also start begin occurring earlier in the day. So remember how, you know, you, you may have said on your show before, restless leg syndrome tends to occur mostly uh, at, in the evening or at night. However, with augmentation, it may begin occurring earlier in the day. Okay, so this is, of course, a, a pretty problematic issue, and it's really, really, really bothersome, as, as you had reached out and stated very clearly. So for me, the way this manifested, and I started describing it to people on Twitter, was, and it was, it was almost, it was the same but different from when we first figured out that I had restless leg syndrome. It was, I couldn't get comfortable. I constantly was feeling like I had to move around. I was getting out of bed about every 30 minutes because I felt like I had to go to the bathroom 
um, but didn't 95% of those bathroom trips. Um, and so I went from full night sleep, not necessarily the highest quality sleep, which is why this project is still kind of ongoing, but uh, I went from a, a full night sleep down to, I was back down into the three and a half hour range again. And I was just having a conversation on one of the episodes that just ran uh, of the snooze button where I complained to somebody about, yeah, last night I got three hours and 26 minutes. Everything was fine. And now I'm back down into the three and a half. And it was you, not surprisingly, that figured out that in my case, it wasn't augmentation. It was something else that might have implications for even more people. Talk to me about that part of it. Absolutely. So, you know, whenever someone comes to the clinic with restless legs that's been stable for a number of years, in your case, you had really, thank God, you had really improved well on Meripax with some conservative measures and plus the medication, right? So it was actually like you had a home run case. We were so happy for you. So when someone comes back and says, okay, listen, Mark, you know, this thing is worsening. My restless legs is worsening. Whether it's augmentation or not, there's a whole bunch of different factors we look at. Uh, number one is, and, there, and there's so many different steps, and different doctors will do this probably in a different order and stuff. So, you know, this is just as one approach, and other specialists will have, of course, their own approach as well. So the first thing I, I, I would normally do is, you know, sleep hygiene. You know, you know, alcohol, you know, how much alcohol are you taking towards bedtime, you know, caffeine towards bedtime. Caffeine can really throw things off. Yeah, in your case, that was pretty good. Are you getting a full seven or eight hours of sleep. Well, the irony is you wouldn't be going to the sleep specialist if you were, right? So, so yeah, yeah sometimes, yeah. but some, some of us, like myself included too, you know, you're working late on something and you get, you curtail your sleep because of, you know, as professionals and as people in media and other, all other jobs, you know, we're so stretched for, and, and plus the demands of life between your work, your life, your other, and your, your family life and your other commitments, it becomes extremely difficult to get, you know, this recommended seven or eight hours of sleep. Sure. Of course, you may not be getting that because of the, uh, you know, because of also because of a sleep disorder. Then the other thing I would typically check for: Are you using CPAP? Are you, you know, is sleep apnea being adequately treated as well as a dental appliance being treated, and so on and so forth? And then if those conditions are, if those things are fine, the other thing you really want to check into is the iron levels. So it's it's very common that iron levels could be low. So in restless legs, and a lot of the physiology of restless legs is actually still being sorted out. It's still being sorted out. But a very common precipitant for worsening restless leg syndrome is a low, low iron level. And that's one of the first things I'll do when someone asks me and, and someone says, you know, um, you know, listen, my restless leg is getting worse. So we draw an iron level and the ferritin number, the lab will report, report the ferritin as being normal if it's greater than five. So just five, five, so five. <laughs> but, um, but in restless leg syndrome, we actually want to aim for a level greater than 100 as per recent guidelines. Older guidelines were even using 45, then they increased it to 75, and now we're closer to 100. Okay? So the ferritin level needs to be actually pretty high in people with restless leg syndrome, or else their symptoms will come back. And no matter how much Meripex, you know, no matter what, what you're doing with your Meripex, it's not going to benefit people at all. So, so just to be clear, Neil, the iron level has to be a pretty high level or else the Meripex will not work. So in my case, it turned out that it was none of those things. Yeah. It was a drug interaction. 
um, specifically, and I haven't really talked about this publicly before, but then again, I haven't talked about any of this publicly before you and I decided to start talking about it, um, was that uh, about three months ago, let's, let's say life started catching up. And I decided that I needed to go back on uh, a prescription for my mental health. And so my doctor suggested that uh, a terrific medication that might work for my particular case would be Trintelix. And I don't know what the official pharmacological name for Trintelix is, but Trintelix is the brand name. And I didn't do the math in my head that the Trintelix might not be playing nice with the Mirapex. But it turned out, and as you and I kind of went back through my history on, you know, Trintelix, the dates lined up. The, 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 you know, when I was on that introductory dose that they do for anybody that's on any kind of antidepressant or, or medication like that, there's the ramp up phase where you're on the very low dose just to see what happens and see if you tolerate it, see if you can put up with the nausea and all those kinds of things. And I flew through that, no problem. And then once the dosage of the Trintelix started ramping up, and again, I didn't do the math in my head because I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. Um, that's when the sleep problems started coming back. And so on the one hand, I was like, wow, okay, I don't I don't feel like running to the drawer in the kitchen where the sharp knives are anymore, but I can't sleep anymore either. So now what do I do? And that's when I started complaining about it on Twitter. And that's when this whole conversation came up. So you pointed out to me in an email that it's very common for a drug like Mirapex to interact with all kinds of different medications. Can you boil that down for me in any way? Because I'm sure there's somebody right now that's either listening to this, watching this, reading about this, whatever, and going, wait a minute, that sounds like me. So what kind of other medications do we need to watch out for, specifically with restless legs and Mirapex, that people need to be conscious of? Absolutely. So you've raised an excellent point. Anytime something changes in your medical health, I'll sleep or not sleep. You should always, one of the best, you know, the doctor should ask you also is, uh, have you started any medications, right? Because medications can play a major side effect. In your situation, it wasn't actually the Mirapax per se. The Mirapax was doing its own thing. But there are some certain classes of medications that can worsen periodic limits and worsen restless legs. And you're right on the right on the mark there that the moment when you started the, these classes of medications the ssris and the snris okay that's the sort of medical nerdy term but that's that's sort of what that's what we sort of call it in medicine so uh the the i can't even pronounce it the four of uh the four you have to give it to me four to it four to it, it's, i can't remember even it's name now but that one is an snri it's a serotonin neuroadrenergic neuroadrenergic um sorry norepinephrine reuptake inhibitor okay and that's also known as an snri another very common one on that same class will be a faxer or vemlafaxine okay just for other people who may be using that one as well and then then the other class of medication very similar is the ssris the selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors okay and those and those would be very common like prozac you know selexa citalopram um you know, uh, fluoxetine and so on. There's a whole slew of them as well. Okay, so both of those ones are known to worsen, are known to worsen restless leg syndrome. And uh, and they also will worsen periodic limits in sleep. And so I suspect when that medication was started, your your, your periodic limits 
got just way out of control. Same with the rest of the slags. And again, no matter what you do with the, uh, you know, the Maripex, your iron levels or whatnot, um, you know, it's not going to help. So, you know, really when someone, you know, when someone develops worse than restless legs, you have to look at the whole package, you know, the sleep hygiene, the apnea, other sleep disorders, the blood levels, the metabolic factors, and very important, I'm really thank, so thankful, Neil, that you mentioned this, but also the medications as well, because they play a major role. And those are, that's a really good sort of algorithm to run through just uh, to, to remember. You know, this conversation is is an exact example of why it's so infuriating to me when I look at the subreddits that deal with sleep and insomnia or the Facebook groups that deal with insomnia. And there are people on there that are saying, oh, well, you should up your melatonin dose to this or you should uh, you should get a hold of some of that drug or you should live and, and all these things. And they they know nothing of someone's medical history. They know nothing of all the different ways that these different bits and pieces play together uh, and don't seem to have an appreciation for how subtle shifts in things can make a world of difference. It's like I keep having the, the melatonin conversation with people where, yes, melatonin can have a really short impact on, you know, fixing your jet lag problem if you nail the dosage and if you nail the timing of the dosage and you get those both perfect, then maybe melatonin can work for you short term. But everybody on the subreddits and on Facebook and everything like that is going, oh, you just got to chug more melatonin. No, no. That's why we have the Mark Bulises of the world that we can actually go and ask somebody who really knows what they're talking about, who will take all of these other various factors into account. Now, if I need to be, not me personally, but if I, big picture I, need to be on some sort of antidepressant or uh, you know mental health medication, is there a class of drugs I can still get pointed toward that won't exacerbate a, a PLMD or won't, you know, negate the effects of the mirror, any of those kinds of, is there anywhere I can ask my doctor to steer me to if I need to be on those meds? Yeah, uh, absolutely. So uh, what, what we will re- generally recommend is something called Wellbutrin. Wellbutrin is a medication um, that doesn't play an impact on restless legs or periodic movements, and yet it actually really helps. With, it's, it's another, it works as an antidepressant, but it's also really nice because it's what we call an, an alerting, an alerting, medi- an, an alerting antidepressant medication. So it can both work on the mood, but also help people perk up. So it's been actually very useful in our sleep clinics. Neil, I want to just add one point that, and you raised a really good point about, about you know, people uh, providing advice that, you know, may not be under the care of a, a medical professional. And um, in this kind of scenario, increasing the Meripax would actually make you worse, okay? Because increasing the dose of the Meripax can actually lead to what we had started with at the beginning, which is augmentation, you know? So what we, we always tell our patients to not increase the dose of Meripax, and then you really have to follow your doctor's uh, requests or your doctor's suggestions. But we usually don't increase the dose of the Meripax beyond 0.5 milligrams nightly. Now, some doctors will go a little bit beyond that, but I personally like to keep it low because if you increase the dose of the Meripax, in fact, you uh, will, will, will can develop augmentation, and that's super, super important. Okay. I'm glad I cleared this up because, um, you know, like Linnell said, uh, sorry, Dr. Schneeberg said, um, that's something that I bet a lot of people don't even take into account, particularly when they're getting some of their, or maybe even in some cases, all of their 
medical advice and information from folks on social media. Um, again, it's a perfect example of why I keep saying you got to go to a sleep lab. You got to talk to a sleep specialist. And um, in in an episode that uh, just came out of the snooze button a few weeks ago, Diane Macedo from ABC and Good Morning America and I were talking about, you know, we've both talked to, we both know a lot of the same people. Like we both, you know, have Mike Grandner on speed dial, et cetera, et cetera. But um, the people that I've talked to, some of them have said to me that in med school, unless you're specializing in sleep, you really only spend 10 or 15 minutes max on sleep. And most of those 10 or 15 minutes are spent on sleep apnea. Um, the people that Diane talked to say, they say the average is about somewhere around two hours in the entirety of medical school, unless you specialize. And that's one of the other things I keep uh, talking to people about is, is that somebody will say, well, my doctor pres- prescribed Zopiclone. Well, of course your doctor did because your doctor's not a sleep specialist. Um, and, and, you know, oh, my doctor said I should take melatonin. Exactly. Of course they did because your doctor's not a sleep specialist. And, and so it's just another example. And people who catch this show every week are probably tired of, of me beating the idea over the head, but sleep lab, sleep lab, sleep lab, sleep specialist, sleep specialist, sleep specialist. I can't say it enough because I, I finally met you and I finally got answers to what was actually going on. And I had a roadmap for how to fix it. And when I ran into a speed bump, there you were again with the answer on how to f- smooth out the speed bump. And so to me, there's just, there's no even close second to the value of, of a trusted sleep clinician. And I hope that people have those kinds of resources in their area. But you know what I'll do is I'll do some digging around on, on the Google machine and with, you know, maybe the Academy of Sleep Medicine or something like that and post some links where people can maybe find good resources in their geography. But Mark, I tell you what, I say to everybody that I run into who's local to Toronto, who's having a sleep problem, I always say, look, call Mark Bulos, call Sunnybrook Medical Center in Toronto. Don't tell him I sent you because that'll probably mean he won't return your call. Uh, but, you know, to, to, you know, get get feet to a sleep lab is always my thing. Thanks, and I listen, have you to thank for really- that. Thank you so much for the real kind words. I really grateful for it. Thank you. And uh, yes, you're absolutely right. We're, you're always here to help. You know, sleep is, uh, like lots of other areas of medicine, sleep is really undertaught in medical school. I think my medical training had an hour and a half by a real good mentor of mine who's outstanding. And uh, he's still my mentor, and he's the guy who gave that lecture maybe like, what, 20 years ago now? Maybe not that long ago. Mark, I owe you. You gave me my life back. Thanks for having some time Thanks for this today, too. I appreciate my, it. My privilege. Thank you so much. Dr. Mark Bullis from Sunnybrook Health Sciences Center in Toronto on the second episode of season four of the Snooze Button podcast. There's a whole back catalog of stuff there that might address whatever might be ailing your particular sleep issue with a whole ton of great researchers and scientists from all over the planet. It's an honor and a privilege to have them on, including our guest that's on next week's show. She's got a brand new book out called Hello Sleep. Dr. Jade Wu will be back with us and talking about the challenges that she faced as both a sleep clinician and a new mom it's a whole physician heal thyself thing that is super compelling and we're excited to have her back until we get together again my name is neil headley hey get some sleep would you